If you enjoy our content and think this is important material, the best compliment you can pay is by sharing this with your friends and family. This helps us out a lot. Also, if you enjoyed today's program, please like, comment, share, and subscribe to this podcast. We would love to hear from you. Welcome to the Truth In My Days podcast, where we defend the Word of God against the challenges of men. Hello. Today, we have Dr. Torres interviewing John about using probability correctly in supporting Christianity. John is specifically looking at claims from Dr. Bart Ehrman and evangelical scholars who use probability to either prove or disprove Christianity. We are continuing from the previous episode. We hope you enjoy. You look through Stoner's work, and he, he lists eight prophecies. And then he lists the New Testament fulfillments of these eight prophecies. And then he gives you the probability for each of them, multiplies them together, and he gets 1 in 10 to the exponent 28 instead of 1 in the exponent 10 to the 17. You look at the numbers, though. His probability for Christ to be born in Bethlehem, he has is 1 in 280,000. To have a foreigner of Christ, one in a thousand. Christ enters Jerusalem riding on a donkey, one in a hundred. Christ to be betrayed by a friend, one in a thousand. Christ to be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, one in a thousand. 30 pieces of silver cast down and used to buy a potter's field, he says, is one in a hundred thousand. Christ keeping silent on trial, he has one in a thousand. Christ crucified, he has one in ten thousand. Where do you get all these numbers? Well, let's look at where we get the number. Let's start with the first one. The odds of Christ being born in Bethlehem from Micah 5.2. To arrive at the answer, Stoner started with the average population of Bethlehem from the days of the prophet Micah to this present time and divided it by the average population of the earth for the same period. It was discovered that the, this ratio was 1 to 280,000. So the answer would be one man in 2.8 times 10 to the 5. In other words, one in 280,000 against being born in Bethlehem. So he says the probability of this prophecy being fulfilled is one in 280,000, which comes to 0.00035%. Now, is this valid? What would you think? Well, as far as I know, God wanted him to be born in Bethlehem. So it's not a random event. Exactly. It's not a random event. Here's the thing. If the prophecy says the Messiah is born in Bethlehem, any legitimate claimant to the mantle of Messiah must have been born in Bethlehem. If you're not born in Bethlehem, it's game over. Okay? You, you don't even try to claim to be Messiah. So that means that it's certain that a Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. It's not, there's not an odds again. It's not a random thing. So the probability of this prophecy being fulfilled is not 1 in 280,000. It's actually certain. It's 1 in 1. Now, yes, there were Messianic claimants who were not born in Bethlehem, but that would disqualify them immediately. And yes, they had some unwary people follow them, but they really shouldn't have. If we look at a second number then, because that's really the only one where you even try to make some kind of probabilistic calculation. If we look at the second one, Malachi 3.1, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. 
Stoner writes, How many men who have been born in Bethlehem have had a forerunner sent by God to prepare his way? We will use the conservative estimate of one in a thousand or in one in ten to the third power. Uh, what do you notice about that? I don't know where that number comes from either. Well, he's pulling it off the top of his head. It's not an actual probability. What about this one, for example, from Zechariah 9.9? Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Zechariah 9.9. Stoner writes, the question now becomes, One man in how many who has entered Jerusalem as a ruler has entered riding on a coal, the foal of, the foal of an ass. We will use one in ten to the second power, one in a hundred. But here we have to ask, is this random? Well, no, and even if it were random, I still don't know where he got those numbers. Well, he's pulling it off the top of his head, but this is certainly not random. Once again, if you're a messianic claimant, you know the prophecy, you know that you're supposed to enter Jerusalem riding on a colt, well, you're going to get yourself a colt and ride in. Once again, it's one out of one. It's not a probability. Then he goes on, And when shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thine hands? Then he shall answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Zechariah 13.6 Stoner asks, One man in how many all over the world has been betrayed by a friend and as a result suffered wounds in his hands? We will use one in ten to the third power. Where did that number come from? Probably randomly from the top of his head. Exactly. When you look through the list of the eight prophecies, there's an attempt to calculate an actual probability for the first one, the birth in Bethlehem. It's not a valid calculation. And the other ones are just pulled off the top of his head. And several of them will, will certainly be fulfilled by a messianic claim. Now, others, no, of course not. Christ being crucified. It's very interesting because this prophecy is in Psalm twenty-two, sixteen, where we read, they pierced the lament of the man on the cross, saying, they pierced my hands and my feet. That's clearly a prophecy about Jesus being crucified. The thing is, crucifixion was not yet invented. Crucifixion was first used by the Persians about 500 years after this prophecy was made and then perfected by the Romans about 500 years after that. So certainly there's value in prophecy, but you cannot apply numbers to them. Okay, John, I, I agree. For most of these, he has, he's just making a big guess, right? He says one in a thousand, one in 10,000, whatever. But I can see his reasoning in the born in Bethlehem. I guess he's looking at if God did not intervene, what is the chance of someone being born in Bethlehem at that time? I think that that's that's where he comes from then. That is where he's coming from, but it's it's still not valid because again, if you are a messianic claimant, and you say, Well, where was I born? I was born in Budapest. Well, sorry, I'm not eligible. If you were born in Bethlehem, you say, okay, I could be it. See, I can tell people I'm the Messiah because I was born in Bethlehem. Somebody not born in Bethlehem is not going to make the claim. Anyone making the claim to be Messiah must be born in Bethlehem. I understand. It's a necessary, but not sufficient condition, but it is a necessary one. So 
there's a hundred percent certainty that someone who wants to convince the Jews that he is the Messiah will be somebody who was born in Bethlehem. Possibly, he's not addressing all this to messianic claimant. I don't. I don't understand that. I mean, possibly he's doing all these calculations. He's not talking about someone who's claiming to be the Messiah, but he's saying that just for anybody. What's the chance of being born in Bethlehem? Well, but that's a meaningless number, and, and really you couldn't do it this way anyway because there's a lot of other factors. He hasn't taken what's the birth rate in, in Bethlehem compared to other places and, and so on. But here's the thing. We're talking about proving Jesus' claims. Jesus was a messianic claimant. If you're not born in Bethlehem, you're not going to claim to be a Messiah, which means yeah, there's a 100% chance that the, whoever comes across claims to be a Messiah, in this case Jesus, will have been born in Bethlehem. Now, we read here that Stoner taught this same class on Christian evidence 12 times and merged the odds with which each group of students proposed to come up with the statistics used in the chapter he titles The Christ of Prophecy. So what that means is he didn't quite pull them off the top of his head. He had 12 classes of students pull numbers off the top of their heads, and then he averaged them together. Mm, it's the average of the top of the heads. Yeah, so, okay. so it's nonsense. This is not genuine probability. These numbers are made up. Sure, his students made them up. That doesn't make it any more accurate than if he had. Uh, the problem here is probability is actual mathematics, and it uses real numbers. You can't simply make up the numbers. Fulfillment of prophecy is not random and cannot be treated as such. It cannot be treated as random events. These, again, are historical events guided by an intelligence, not random. So probability calculations cannot be applied to them. But fulfilled prophecy is still great evidence for the truth of Jesus' claims, isn't it? Absolutely. As we showed with the prophecy about the crucifixion, people cannot foretell the future. Not accurately, not in detail not far in advance. You probably couldn't tell me with any certainty who will win the Stanley Cup this spring. And if I ask you who will win it 10 years from now, you certainly couldn't tell me. You couldn't tell me who's going to win the next presidential election. You couldn't tell me for sure who'd be running. But if I ask you who's going to win the presidential election 40 years down the road, you couldn't tell me. And here are prophecies written a thousand years in advance. So they are definitely wonderful evidence for the truth of Jesus. Prophecies written centuries before him, fulfilled by him. But here's the thing, we don't need to and we cannot improve the quality of this evidence by trying to quantify them as probabilities. There's no reason to do that and it's not possible to do it anyway. Anything else about probability? Yes, one more thing. The term probably mathematically means significantly more likely than not. Having a probability of more than 50% and preferably significantly more than 50%. But when we use the term colloquially in everyday speech, we simply mean that's which is most likely without much doubt. But even when we're using it that way, if you're going to say probably about something, you had better be able to show by means of actual evidence why what you're saying is more reasonable to accept than an alternative. And yet we'll often hear evangelical scholars tossing around the term probably. For example, they would say, oh, Mark was probably written in the mid-50s, or Mark was probably written in the early 60s. 
And if you ask them, well, why probably? Why is that more likely than an alternative view, such as, say, Mark was written in AD 42 or 43? They will not be able to give you a reason. And most will come down and say, well, that's scholarly consensus. And they can ask them, well, why have scholars reached a consensus on this date? They will not be able to give you a reason. The evidence, as we've seen in another program, actually says that Mark was published in AD 42 43, that, that's the hard evidence. But you will hear this term probably thrown around a lot in scholarships and commentaries. And generally what it really means is, is simply that, hey, I've accepted this idea, maybe on the basis of no evidence at all, I've just been taught it, and I want you to accept it. So beware of claims like this. If somebody says Mark was probably written in 66, always ask, how do you know? What's your evidence? What are you leaving out? So I guess a lot of times when scholars say probably this and probably that, it really just means this is my opinion that such and such happened because a lot of times they actually don't have evidence and indeed a number assigned to a probability will be meaningless in historical events. Mm -hmm. So I don't think we need probability to prove anything because the evidence is very strong and we don't need to put a number on it. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yes, but it's not just that we don't need to. We can't. Probability cannot be applied to these events, only to random processes, random things, and describing populations. I think more often, actually, when scholars say probably, it's not so much that this is a conclusion they reached, perhaps without evidence, but this is what they were taught in class, and they've never questioned it. And, and if you ask them, sometimes they're surprised. We ask them, why probably? Why, why do you think this is the most likely answer? And they will hem and haw and say, well... That's the scholarly consensus. And if you ask them why have they reached a consensus on this particular view, they will not be able to tell you. Well, I think you're probably right, John. Thank you for going through probability with us in such detail. I hope we all got some insights from that, even if some of us may not be mathematicians. And I guess the take-home point is historical events cannot be quantified by probability. All right. Well, thank you for joining us, Dr. Torres, and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to the Truth In My Days podcast with John Torse. We would love to hear from you. Please feel free to share any questions or comments you may have. You can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, MeWe, and YouTube. Simply search Truth In My Days as one word. Again, Truth In My Days as one word, no spaces in between. And you can connect with us. You may also visit our website for more comprehensive material and to learn more about our ministry. Our website is truthinmydays.com. Thank you. Thank you.